1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. This is another episode in our special series to celebrate, champion, and support International Women's Day. Maybe let's hope at some point there's not a day and it's just life in general, the norm. But we did think that actually this was a really good opportunity to try out a new format. So a daily podcast where we've got some incredible guests, real experts in their field, talking about some of the challenges, problems and particularly the solutions and actions because we always want to be really action focused on a podcast around both what you can do as a woman at work but also for all of our men listening what you can also do to kind of support women so that we all just enjoy what we do more and perhaps this is not a podcast series that we need to do in a couple of years time. So just to give a little bit of context before I kind of introduce today's guest in terms of kind of where we are around parity because sometimes I think oh maybe we think this is sorted do we still need to be talking about this. It's interesting that We have now made some progress in terms of if you look at things like FTSE 100 boards, one in three of the director positions on boards are now held by women. Slightly more depressingly, there's only six women who are FTSE 100 CEOs. There are more men called Steve. We still obviously have a gender pay gap in the UK. It's kind of around 17%. And McKinsey have done a lot of work. So if you're listening and thinking, where do I find the business case for all the things that we're talking about this week, I would say start with McKinsey. They did a really good report called The Power of Parity, which talks about gender equality not only being kind of a moral and social issue, and I'm sure most of our listeners will absolutely subscribe to that, but also the economic benefits. Boards perform better, companies perform better. I think that is relatively well accepted, though it would be interesting to chat today about is that because we're all in an echo chamber of people who we think accept the same things. But, you know, perhaps the reality of are we having and seeing the change that we would like to see isn't quite in the real world. So today in the studio, I have Helen with me. Hello, everybody. And Sue Uniman. Hi. And Catherine Jacob. Hello. And I'm going to get them to introduce themselves in a minute... But what Sue and Catherine actually don't know, and I've not talked to them about this before, is I've seen both Sue and Catherine talk on stage quite a few times over the years Mm. during my career. Mm. And I sometimes describe my style of networking as being a bit limpet-like, in that essentially once I admire someone and think they're brilliant and really interesting, I sort of always find a way to get to them in the end. (laughs) (laughs) So this is it, basically. I think I perhaps saw Catherine on stage at a big industry conference talking about being a CEO and some of her career journey and really remember going away from that and thinking that was so refreshing to hear somebody who had so much pragmatism and common sense and just really good actionable advice and I think it gave me a lot of confidence to think not necessarily that I could go and be a CEO but that I could do the things that I wanted to do so it's brilliant that they a know each other and then have gone on to write a book together. So the book that they wrote, which you can get, is called The Glass Wall, Success Strategies for Women at Work and Businesses that Mean Business. And actually, that's an important aspect of the book for people who are interested. It's both about what you can do, but also what businesses can do. And as you can imagine, they have a long list of incredibly impressive things that they've done. But I think it's always good to hear in people's own words how they would describe their day jobs. So, Sue, what do you do every week? What do you um, do at work? What, what do I do, what do, I do all day?
2: <laughs> I'm Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom, which is the biggest and the best media agency in the UK. And my role really is to ensure that we are transforming at the pace that we need to because there is no business now that isn't being disrupted. Also to advise our clients on what key transformation issues in terms of media and communications and advertising that they should be on top of. So transformation.
1: So just that little thing then, just yeah. the little thing of tra- transforming the UK media. Tiny. And Catherine. I'm CEO
3: of Pearl and Dean, the cinema advertising company. I don't have the same day every day. Sometimes I go and watch films. Sometimes I, I mean that's great, doesn't it? It's just glorious. It? Really. <laughs> um, what do I do as CEO? I spin plates. That's what I do. And I knit the company together. I try and be the glue that makes it all work. Not that they need my help because they're very good. But, yeah, that's what I do.
1: And you have both have quite a long list of things that you do outside of your day jobs, supporting the industry and kind of different boards that you're part of. So perhaps you could share one thing you do when you're not doing your day job that you're particularly passionate about.
2: Well, look, since we wrote the book The Glass Wall, we've given over 150 probably getting close to 200, 200. talks now oh, wow. at businesses up and down the country and also Catherine's been on global tour as well. i <laughs> um, <laughs> like Taylor Swift. You
1: like I was going to say Madonna, but that makes me sound... Taylor Swift is a more relevant reference. <laughs> <I love that.
2: laughs> Talking about how businesses can change in order to improve their diversity. So probably that's the biggest of my side hustles. I mean, there's other things as well. Like I blog for campaign and write stuff and give talks about... Media and transformation. But Catherine and I on tour is the biggest part, probably, of the side hustle.
3: Yeah, it's the biggest part of my side hustle. But I also sit on the development board of RADA, which I'm very passionate about, and the advertising association's board and council. And I also sit on the board of AOC Sport, which is to encourage young people aged 16 to 19 to participate in sport. Because, you know, particularly for young women, that whole thing about getting into teams and Mm. One of our kind of big mm. themes is about learning how you play the game, what the rules of the game are and how you yeah. change the rules of the game at oh, work.
1: Interesting. And how did you both meet? Was it through the industry? We don't or... know. You don't know? <clears throat> We've known each other so long... You can't
3: remember. <laughs> ..that we can't remember where oh. we met. So I had someone who said to me, ''Did you go to school together?'' Which is quite interesting because that would actually be physically impossible because Sue grew up in North London and I grew up in the Peak District of Derbyshire. So either I,
2: I think my school days would have been a lot happier if I'd gone to school. Yeah, we would have had such a. We
3: would have been so brilliant together, but I think I would have had to be copying your homework because you're so smart. So and I would have been at the back being naughty. (laughs) That's probably what would have happened. So we've known each other all of our careers, and we have tried to track back when we might have met but we can't work out when it is. But Sue has always been in my life to sometimes a greater or lesser extent and then for the past five, ten years,
2: more and more. Catherine was always the person that I knew that I could go to if I needed advice about something that I couldn't ask people that I'd spent day in, day out with Mm. at work or, you know, you couldn't ask a friend because it was a work-related issue. But when I thought about writing this book, the, The Glass Wall... Which was actually a suggestion of my global COO Nick Lawson, who said, "You know, you should write a book about women and work, Sue." And I thought, "Should I? Why? Why, sh- why should I?" And then I I looked at the state that Mediacom was in in terms of diversity versus the rest of our industry and at the time of writing the book as again now we had a woman who was ceo karen blackett who's also the only black woman who's ever run a media agency and four out of the five client facing most senior people were women and three out of the four of them were working part-time so working four-day week and i think if you'd said to most businesses you know should we do that They'd go, well, maybe it's a nice idea one day, but it was a highly successful time and you know, growth was exponential. And the rest of the industry is not like that and the rest of the business world is not like that. So I went to Catherine, who's one of the very few women to run a media owner because yeah. there are more women doing it now, but back then there was just two, two, or three, two or three out of all of the media owners in in the UK. And I said to her, look, will you write this book with me? And she immediately said yes. In fact, I don't even think you said, can I think about it? You just said yes. And A, it was awesome that she said yes. B, I'd actually never seen Catherine's writing at all. Other than an email, <laughs> That's quite a lot of trust of, yeah, I know. That, you,
1: that you would. I may well each
2: have been other. illiterate. So <laughs> it was. It was. She may not have been able to go past a text saying <laughs> "see you later," but actually, she's a brilliant writer, and it's been a brilliant lol. collaboration. Yeah, a <laughs> lol. TM. Lol. yeah, Tmd. And, and it's kind of worked really, really well, and I think. So, one of the other things about that is sometimes you just meet people and, and you go with your
4: instinct, right? Because mm-hmm. you two are great friends as I, well. I right? think it's yeah. quite a, a nice yeah. parallel, actually, because we, we did meet at university oh. and then the majority of our sort of time together in our relationship, which makes it sound very, very close, but was as friends and that talked about work. You know, yeah. and when we supported each other and we inspired yeah. each other and we learned from each other. And it was only six years ago that it became, oh, let's work on something together rather than just talk about the things that we do apart from each yeah. other. And, yeah, to have somebody that to, to maintain the friendship and have something that you can do with somebody. I think it's quite special. It's great fun. Yeah, isn't it? yeah it's Cheers. great. It's yeah. great fun. And it's so like, as much fun as it looks. Yeah. 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 Out there, yeah. If you can find that person. Find the person. Yeah your wingman yeah
3: wingman wingman yeah Um, so
4: can we start a little bit with the title of the book so the glass wall as in we're quite familiar with glass ceilings like we talk quite a lot about glass ceilings but it's very purposefully not called that and i think it's a really interesting and important distinction Mm -hmm. but we'd love to hear about what you think when you think about the glass wall what it is and also why is it different and important and distinct from when we talk about glass ceilings I mean, the glass ceiling implies that every female in the world is desperate to become a CEO.
3: And, and that you know, it's this onward trajectory towards, you know, having an office the size of a football pitch and hot and cold running assistants and a whatever. And actually quite a lot of people don't want that because they've got different responsibilities. And, you know, it is a truth that the majority of caring responsibilities fall on women, the majority Mm. of housework falls on women, etc, etc. So it was deliberately... The glass wall, because we wanted people to have the careers that they wanted to have, not with this you know thrust towards world domination mm. and the drive of ambition and stabbing people in the back just so you get the biggest vice president's office and And the glass wall, as well is just a great analogy because quite often you know if you've ever been in one of those meetings where someone's been in a meeting and there's some glass between you and you say we need to leave at three, and they go, Oh, yeah, I'd love a cup of tea. You know, it's that whole thing where we can see each other, men and women can see each other on, but, and we think we're talking, but we're not.
4: Mm.
2: And th- I think the other thing is, is that the glass ceiling implies that it just happens to you as you reach the top of the career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Hillary Clinton, did she hit the glass ceiling? But the glass wall acknowledges that this can happen to you in your career at any point. Mm. It can be, You know, the day you walk into a new job and you can hit the glass wall, those barriers that stop women at work. Or it could be because your boss changes and actually everything was cool until then. But then you've met someone who's got completely different expectations and the rules of the game have changed.
4: I find it really interesting that these phrases that we you know that they sort of stick in people's heads and stick in people's language that I think hold them back. So things like the glass ceiling creates the expectation that we, you know, we all want to be these you know, super senior people. And when we would talk about like ladders and climbing the ladder. That everybody wants to climb a ladder is one of the reasons when we talk about squiggly careers, yeah. that actually a great yeah. career can go in lots of different directions. And I, I think maybe between us, if we can get people talking about squiggles and glass walls, yeah. then hopefully we can help people thinking about the different ways they can move around in their career. Because what you don't want is you don't want people to have to squiggle for the wrong reasons
2: yes as in yeah, yeah, squiggly should be
1: good but yes. it's kind of and, 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 and you don't want it to happen to you watch... you want to be in control of your squiggle exactly. not not it yeah,
2: kind of having being squiggliness forced, thrust upon you yeah, which is yeah. never can't a good thing. get through in yes. another way and that's really what motivated us is yeah. that we can't bear the idea that anybody in the workforce quits or feels you know loses their confidence because of something that isn't to do with their abilities or their talent or their, you know, being able to contribute, but it's to do with basically where they come from or who they are. Mm.
3: And I think one of our missions was we didn't want women saying, it's just me, isn't it? This mm. is the reason why it's not working. It's my fault. It's not your fault. It's the, it's... which is what we do as women. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's
3: me isn't it if, yeah. only I, if, only I was, yeah. if only I was more extrovert mm-hmm. if only I was more what, this what do I
4: need to change about myself
3: yeah. 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 it's me yeah. I need to change and actually quite often it's the system that needs to change mm-hmm. and we talk about a system that's orientated towards a patriarchal kind of alpha male thing you know one of the frequent questions we get about is about getting promoted and in quite a lot of organisations mm-hmm. the people who get promoted are the people who are really good at getting promoted mm-hmm. not the people who are really good at doing the next job because yeah. they're doing this kind of,
2: hello, I'm here, hello, yes, hello, yeah. I'm here,
3: actually not doing their job. You know. And there
2: are women, cause, because we meet them all the time at the talks, but there are women out there, also obviously from the research for the book as well, who are sitting there going, I'm really good at what I do, why aren't I getting promoted? Mm. And the answer is because you've got to do a bit of showing off as well. And if you can't do that, you need to find a way
3: yeah. at, at it. There's different ways of showing yeah. off.
4: One of the things that really resonated with me when I was reading was about the ambition in the book and this slightly uncomfortable relationship that women have with ambition with the word yeah with the word so sometimes it's sort of like well can I be ambitious and we hear that almost people apologising for their ambition and then sometimes they're ambitious but then somebody in the organisation will say oh that's just a bit ambitious I've heard it in
1: meetings before where it's like oh you know a bit too ambitious I once got that feedback I once got that yeah who told you and how did you feel about it Uh, I was probably 26, 27 that kind of age loved work I've always loved working and had gone for a promotion, mm. and it was felt like I'd gone for promotion like too soon, like mm. too, I was too young, too experienced. Now that also might be true, and that kind of yes, it would be, be potentially mm. valid. <laughs> yeah. But my feedback mm. was almost like, "Oh no, you're too ambitious," mm. and that was considered to be so a what bad mean? thing. Mm. Yeah. So it was yes, like, it was, yeah. "Pipe down! How how dare you? Kind of think you can kind of go for this role?" And then I actually was really unsure, kind of what to do with that because mm. I was thinking, "Okay, so do I need to?" like change my personality essentially because yeah. I was really kind of driven and mm. wanted to progress. And then I thought, do I need to go and work for mm. someone else? Mm. Because are these people just not seeing me as somebody who could progress, you know, I perhaps wasn't necessarily the right person for that job, but I was then wasn't given anything to work with or to make myself better. And ultimately felt like I had to leave that team. And I got a bit stuck. I was just like, yeah. oh, what do I what do and I it do? It would have been very different feedback. Right. So if you weren't ready for that job yet, mm. then
4: that conversation should have been like, we really, really respect you being interested in this. This is what the role needs. This is our perception of your skills. How can yeah. we work towards it? It's very different from saying to someone, I mean, it's a bit too ambitious, that move, Sarah. And it's also the other thing as well, which is it's the women thing. Yeah.
3: So what we do is a bloke could go, too ambitious. Yeah, too right, mate. I am too ambitious and you're just bloody useless, aren't well, you? Ambitious
2: for the success yeah. of this company. Precisely. <laughs> and how can I, and
3: how can how I contribute it? <laughs> and it would have been all yeah. of that. Yeah. And what you've taken it is, is, oh, no. oh well, me, a girl, asking yeah. something, yeah. Oh, Slap on the back of the hand, go to the back of the class and wait until it's your turn to be pulled forward, called forward for that. And it's just this whole thing, which is blokes would see it, you know, blokes would see it in a certain type of way. You saw it as, oh, well, that's it. Then I I don't fit in here anymore. And women make the mistake of thinking that everyone thinks about what they say the way that we would think about it if we were giving that feedback. And they don't. He probably just thought, yeah, well, you know. Too ambitious, yeah. And it's just a throwaway mark.
1: Oh, yeah, he, I think it was. The person I mean, who gave like you that. I spent like a year thinking about it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this guy, I reckon... Thirty no. seconds. Probably never came in. Yeah. No, minute.
3: I've now ticked her off. That one who didn't get the job. Now I've got another six yeah. that what? I need to give feedback to. And what we do is we take what people say to us and we just go, "Well, what does that mean? If I said that, then well, I'd we're mean." We're very,
2: this. very good at it. I mean, and it's one of the strengths it. of women in the workplaces oh, yeah. is that they that. can do that. So there's roles for that. But sometimes you just have to kind of let things. Sometimes let things you just go. have to go.
3: It's a casual kiss offline yeah. and actually, it's your problem, not mine. Yeah. And and we do that whole thing, and it is that thing where. It starts from when we're
2: about... That's what you I was know. thinking.
4: Is it social conditioning? Is it that well, women so are naturally of, not confident well, as men? So
2: one of the things that we talk about actually is little boys and little girls in the playground. So little boys in the playground knock each other down and get back up again. Little girls don't do that. Little girls play nicely. I mean, I'll have a little go with something and then I'll... Catherine, it's your turn. Thank you, Sue. Yeah. Yeah. That's, not to say, that's not to say that you know teenage girls don't indulge in hideous emotional torture of each other. Because yes. That's a different thing. But that thing of just getting out there getting knocked down, getting back up again, seems to give a kind of different gender entry point into the workplace. And, you know, we try to avoid stereotypes. But there are these real gender differences that come across again and again and again where women do have this tendency both to overthink and then also really take seriously needing to be qualified for the next promotion yes. or the next pay rise. And, and you probably know there's a the Hewlett-Packard test which actually... You know, a woman, if she qualifies for seven out of 10 criteria, she won't apply because she can't do all of them. Whereas if a bloke can do four of them, he'll go, well, I can wing that. One of the situations we heard about, it was this was a woman boss who had two people working for her, a man and a woman, and talked to both of them about getting promoted. And the conversation was similar. It was a good conversation. It was, you know, I'd like to see you get to the next level and here are the Four or five things that I think you need to do in order to be ready for me to take you to the next level. And she said that the bloke involved came back to her within about six weeks and said, What are you doing about my promotion? And she said, Well, how's the, the list going? And he went, Well, he, I'm working my way through it. But you know, now that you've raised the subject, if you don't put me forward, I should be going to your boss and, and sort of. <laughs> right. And she went back to the woman that she had the same conversation with after a few months and said, well, why haven't you come back to me yet?" And the woman said, "Well, I'm still working my way through the mm. things on the list. and it's just this com- this is a world of difference, and then we wonder whether there are more men that have got promoted.
1: So I'm really interested in is the answer, and it will never be binary. But there was certainly, like a few years ago, more of a suggestion of like, well, do we need to, as women, adapt to be more like men and male behaviour? And I don't think that's what we're no, saying. No, so I think we're as we're kind of talking about these differences, which I think lots of people listening will really recognise in themselves, because you spoke to so many people for the book and your own experience and you're experiencing leading kind of massive teams, what does then work for women? Because I my assumption is, what we're not suggesting is, try and be kind of more man, essentially. No, 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 no. It's presumably try and be the kind of best versions of you. But it's incumbent on the business to lean in. So okay, I'm deliberately using yeah. that
2: phrase. Because in that situation where there were two people who yeah. were going to get promoted, who was going to be better at the job that they got promoted into? I mean, the point is, is that a good manager, and, and the, you know this woman sort of acknowledged, kind of make up her, I didn't really think it through perhaps in the best way, because they did eventually both get promoted, but he got promoted much sooner than she did right it's incumbent on the manager to go how am I just making those decisions Mm. have I got a real balance in terms of what I'm hearing I spoke to a a non-exec chair who said that he was interviewing for a CEO role at the business that he was chair of and there were three candidates two women and one man it's great and one of the opening questions is, you know, could you tell us something that you've done that was a success? He said that the two women said, oh, yes, of course, we did this. And then we did this and then we did this. Collectively. And the man mm-hmm. said, I did this. I did this. I did this. And he said his initial reaction was that he'd done it. The man had done it and that the women had just simply been a part of the team. And it's that really listening and interpreting. I mean, and this is probably maybe slightly unfair, but when a woman says we, she probably means I. And when a man says I, (laughs) maybe what he means is we.
3: And I think that thing, we don't want women to become more like women. We want women to be what women are, but just to understand what the rules of the game are. And understanding that most people are blagging it most of the time. Yeah, you know. And <laughs> yeah. and the idea that what we have to do is if we have to go into every meeting and know everybody's point of view and every single thing it's just rubbish. And that we
2: cannot bear this a woman can only succeed if she works five times as hard as a man oh, God, in order yeah. to get on. Yeah. I mean, this myth has been out there for decades now. And I haven't noticed any of the men I know working any harder <laughs> and kind of being at all worried by women working five times as it's just it's it's working smarter, isn't it? Yeah, it
3: is. I and it's, it's understanding so. the way that the system works and So the that fa- you can
2: break yeah. the rules if yeah. you want to, but you need to know what the rules are.
3: And how many times have we all, you know, we you hear women talking about when they've been in meetings, they say, What I've got to do is I've got to say the perfect thing at the perfect moment. Yes. And they sit there waiting for the perfect thing in the perfect moment, and then some random bloke says what you're going to say, and you have like, to restrain no. yourself from going, No, I was, that was <laughs> point point. So, you know, what we say to people is... And also the other thing as well is lots of those things. People are just waiting for the chance to talk. They're not waiting to hear whether yours was the perfect moment. They're just trying to, you know... Find their spot. Yeah, they're just trying to dominate the airspace because then they think it makes them look like they're clever and actually it might just mean that they've got verbal diarrhoea.
2: But what won't happen is the world won't change to suit you either. mm, And maybe that's a bit of a brutal truth. We've certainly been asked questions by women who've gone... But it's just, it's not right that I should have to show off about my work. Yeah. They should notice. Yeah. It's like, well, that's the game. That's, yeah, it is the, the game. game. It's, it's not about whether it's right or wrong. It's just those are the rules. And if you understand the rules, you know, you've got a choice. You can squiggle, actually, if you really don't like the yes. rules. Yeah, yeah. You? Yeah. you can go and find another route through. Or you can find a way around the rules, which is that you might say to your colleague, "I don't know, are you seeing my boss soon," and and she might go, "Yeah, yeah," and then you'll go, "Well, could you say that I did a good thing?" and and you can have kind of like a bit of a mutual pact and speaking up for each other in meetings yeah. and that sort of thing.
4: I think on the rules point, sometimes there's a bit of a lack of transparency that doesn't make the rules very clear. They're like, not clear. They're not they're like Waffle no, around it, and it's like, what,
2: Just tell me." No, it's like
3: it's like VAR. No. You see, <laughs> one man's It's a yeah. football reference. Thank you. You're welcome. But you know, it's like one. Man's Man's offside is another man's. Well, that was perfectly legitimate. I can't actually believe that. Yeah, it yeah. is just like VAR, you know. Uh, but you know what,
2: though, the thing about the the rules is, is is that it's the secret rules are the most powerful ones.
4: So how do we unearth the secret rules?
3: Well, it depends on the organisation. Yeah. So okay. every organisation has so its Pearl own. secret rules. How would I find them out? Do I talk to people? Oh and God, go, there's, how there's, how honestly, we get done around here there and... is just no. There are no secret rules <laughs> at Perlundine because literally we are, you know. It's like an open book. No. Um, you get to know people. It's yeah, about yeah, relationships, yeah, yeah. actually.
2: It is about relationships, I think. Yeah. Isn't it? And
1: I think about... Have fun,
3: make money. That's our rule.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, that's sensible. That's <laughs> our rule. Have fun, make money. Yeah.
3: If you're having fun, then making money is really easy. And if you're not making money, you're not having any fun. So it's just that. <laughs> it.
2: You know, so. as some organisations have lots of them and some don't have many. And, yeah. you know, Mediacom's great. I mean, it's a, it's a very not-political organisation. But there's lots of people working there. And whenever you've got lots of people working there... You've got everybody interpreting the written rules, maybe slightly their own way. Mm. Maybe that's partly what goes yeah. on.
0: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
1: That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: We're going to talk a little bit now about introversion, extroversion, about being able to kind of observe... And I actually think one of the things that sometimes introverts are good at, and I'm very much a kind of introvert, is I sort of riled a bit against playing the game. Mm. But actually once I figured out that one of the things that I was good at was observing how things got done and almost like watching, which sounds a bit manipulative, but like watching... Okay, so who are the people who manage to get stuff done here? Mm. Who are the people yeah. who manage to get, you know, things signed off mm. or kind of make mm. things happen? Okay, so what are they doing? How does that seem to work? And then what can I learn from that? And I'm still going to do it in my way, mm. and I did this in lots of kind of very big organizations, but I think you can you can be that kind of watchful observer. Mm-hmm. And you talk a bit about introversion, extroversion, and I really liked this quote, which is introverts living under the extrovert ideal are like women in a man's world, discounted because of a trait that goes to the core of who they are. Mm. And I'm very much a, I don't know if it's the right phrase, like a reformed introvert. So basically <laughs> I used to lie about being an extrovert. I used to, you know Myers-Briggs profiles. Yeah, yeah. So when Helen and I started work together, I used to fill them out. And I thought that to be successful, you needed to like be an E. Mm. So I used to just, I was smart game enough at observing. I yeah. used to game it. Yeah. I used to game it and be like, oh, you know oh yeah, obviously I'll come and ENTJ or whatever it was, because mm. that's what CEOs often were. Mm. And then about halfway through my career, I realised that I'd been basically lying to myself. And actually, I was way better at my job once I accepted mm. that I was an introvert and that was kind of okay. I was interested to get both of your points of view on whether, is this a particular challenge for women or is this a kind of challenge for everyone? Because you do talk about it a bit in the book in terms of often extroverts tend to be the people maybe who are more successful traditionally in terms of finding their way? I think the world is built for extroverts. The business world is built for extroverts, certainly. I mean, there's a great book
2: that we quote called Quiet by Susan Cain, which is wonderful for any introvert yes, yeah, out there yeah. to read. I just wish some extroverts would read it as well.
1: Because, <laughs> which, of course, why would they? <laughs> um,
2: I don't think this is just gendered. I think there's lots of people out there who are quietly getting on with things. But don't necessarily, again, fit the norm of the organisation. And back to what Catherine said at the beginning about the organisational norms. I mean, they are designed for, most businesses that are out there are designed for a tiny minority of masculine alphas who are workaholics, got a Mm. full-time stay-at-home partner. Stay-at-home wife. Yeah. Mm. And lots of lots of talented people don't do well in those kinds of cultures. And that's not good for business. That's not good for British business, you know, in a post post Brexit world, it's kind of if we could just get all that untapped talent to really contribute.
4: You get a lot of homogenous kind of talent in yeah, that do. way, mm. same sort of people that work in the same sort of way, and I think that really affects the innovation the ideas yeah. that we're having in well, you just get Group think,
3: yeah. And then yeah. what happens is, is that you know you you get to a situation. Where it's like, well, we all believe that, don't we? Yeah. And you're And you're, if you don't, you're well, if you don't, so. yeah. yeah. If you don't, you're, no, actually, I think it's. You know and I think the interesting thing is for businesses to say, "Well, this is what we think now. Would there be another way of thinking about this, and it's quite hard to find the levers to do it, so it's like you know when you do year end reviews, we've changed our language internally to you know what would you like to have more of and what would you like to have less of? So I think it's polish, pause, and push. you know, so what are we doing that just needs a bit of buffing up and making look nice. Yeah. What are we kind of going mm, not really sure about that? And what we're gonna kind of, you know, really push on that we really yeah, want to do more of. Language. And that's mm. that whole language thing rather than saying to people what are your strategic objectives. I mean, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> yeah. what are you do more of, what are you doing less of? And what's a bit
2: And mm. also the kind of pointing out of people's weaknesses because they're different. So yeah. I don't know if you had this or not, but I have certainly been criticized during the course of my career for not being extrovert enough, for not kind of being on broadcast, for being, you know, a bit kind of diffident about f- fun, yep. to be honest.
1: And, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, um, I think I'm the least fun person I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and for years and
2: years, I did try and make up for my, you know, so-called kind of shortcomings. And then I thought, God, the amount of energy that I'm putting into doing that, if I put that energy instead in sort of being more of what I'm good at, mm.
1: yeah.
2: isn't that better? And isn't that better for everybody out there to just... And we've got this expression at Mediacom, Avengers Assemble, because I'm a huge Avengers fan. (laughs) Um, You know, you don't want a whole room full of Incredible Hulks, but you certainly do want a Captain America and a... a, Captain Marvel. Marvel. Captain Marvel. And Black Widow. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So actually on that... I think one of the potentially more controversial points in the book that really, you know, when you sort of stop and you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to reread that and I'm, I'm going to really try Ooh. and understand it. So I was like, oh, let's talk about so, this. Well, no, surely not. Um, so you talk a bit about how kind of kindness can kill Mm-hmm. So there's lots of chat about, you know, in the past, particularly, maybe some women don't always support other women, which actually I have rarely experienced personally in my career. And perhaps I've been fortunate. I think I actually sought out certain bosses, being really honest, who I could see were ambitious women and kind of supportive. And I actually don't think my career would have worked out in the way it had if I hadn't worked for some of those brilliant women. And, you know, this idea of like the sisterhood and people talk about that actually a lot more now. So you sort of assume that's all good, that's all useful, we should kind of all be helping each other. But you do give some examples of how, at times, it can be unhelpful. And when I read it and you gave some of the examples, I thought, do you know what, I can really see how that's actually happened to me a few times. Mm. So perhaps you could just explain it a little bit more and I'll kind of give you my personal example.
3: Well, one of the stories is about, you know, mean girls, someone who was good at their job and then got a female boss for the first time and it just didn't work out because... The person who was in that role wasn't willing to kind of, you know, turn into mean girls and dress <laughs> that way and do yeah. whatever. And they just had very different styles. We do very nuanced languages, women, you know. And I had a female boss and I thought it was going to be great. And it was, what was that line? It was a nest of vipers. You Actually, have- <laughs> we expect other women to be better. We hold ourselves up, ourselves up to a yeah, higher standard. Okay. Yeah. Actually, We're just human.
1: Yeah.
3: And the fact about it is, if you are a woman and you've come through a system where it is, I'm going to beat you with birch twigs every day and, you know, strip you down to your inner self just so you can rebuild yourself, rather than being the nurturing and beautiful person that we think women should be, should being the appropriate word, then... That's the way that they've been brought up. They survived it. It's bloody good for me. It's it's a bit like the boarding school sort to me. Never did me any bloody harm. You know, <laughs> da, 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 toughens you up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so expecting women to be all, all saintly. Saintly <laughs> and gorgeous Supported. and caring and to stroke your hair and tell you it's how lovely not you very look. Very realistic. No, because it's the same way as I expect all men to be the same. We are just human. And the fact is, is that the same way as we wouldn't ascribe or one shouldn't, ascribe certain qualities to gender, same way we shouldn't expect women to be lovely. And and it is just that thing which is people are a product of their experiences and what they've been through. And sometimes it's tough love and being mother of dragons. I've never seen Game <laughs> yeah. of Thrones. I only ever go to the cinema, but, you know. Or you might come from a slightly different background and nurturing is really important to you and etc etc but equally you might have a bloke who's come from a background that is you know we're all in it together etc etc we're just people and I think that whole thing about expecting other women to be the best versions of women Mm. (laughs) is a fallacy.
1: Yeah and I think you gave an example in the book that I thought was interesting around different times in our career and different life stages perhaps sometimes some of the people who've supported you previously might not then be able to be as supportive because perhaps your context has moved on. So I think you gave an example of if someone's been promoted and perhaps previously you were kind of peers, mm. perhaps someone started a family and perhaps yeah. the other person mm. hasn't and that creates a kind of very different context. The reason it kind of really made me pause for thought, I was thinking the one time that Helen and I sort of spent the least time together and potentially we had a very shared experience of, so we both, Helen had her second child, a little girl called Madeline, and I just had Max. And usually we spent loads of time together, always talking even if it's kind of remotely. And I had such a different experience having a baby to Helen, even though you go on paper, oh, Mm. very similar careers, Mm. both had a baby at a similar time. Helen had a beautiful little girl called Madeline who was a dreamy and lovely I had a little boy who had acid reflux and was very poorly mm. yeah and I found it very tough and it was my first and just yeah. all, all quite so on paper it looked like we were having a very yeah. similar experience and actually we really weren't mm. and it's funny like when I reflect back on that time actually I needed some different support at that yeah. time because it wasn't that Helen wasn't trying to be supportive but you can't support in the same way or kind of have empathy mm. in the same way maybe if you've not been through similar things or and I think just acknowledging that changes of relationship and different kind of times of your life is, is really important. And also, is
3: that- Yeah and that nuanced thing about you know when you have children and that whole thing around if you have a child that doesn't sleep mm. you know yep. it, you understand why sleep deprivation is a torture. I do, I do. And, that. and also that bloody word they use the health is thriving. Mm. Your child isn't thriving, which implies that you're there drinking gin all day yeah. and you know going
2: <laughs> I, have honest, a small on drink this quite tap. A lot
1: more gin, but do, you know, but do
2: you know? But you know what guilt? <laughs> let's let's talk a little about guilt because I honestly think guilt might be one of the most useless emotions in life, mm. in work. It's kind of we do it to ourselves, right? We kind of feel guilty. Yeah, and who does it, it serve? It t- who yeah. does it serve? It doesn't help you. It doesn't help your friends. It doesn't help your family. It doesn't help your colleagues. And I think the other big lesson that we would sort of throw in there is it's sometimes it's not your friends that you need help from. Sometimes Mm -hmm. what you need is specialist help, almost quite cold. Yes. Almost quite kind of, you know, brutal is the wrong word, but just no these things happen, pragmatic and, you know, just independent, I guess.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think we often talk to people about, you know, it's a, a kind of classic analogy, about having a personal board, but making sure that mm. that's a small group of people who come at things from a very different perspective. You have a kind of challenger. You have someone who Absolutely kind of always right. asks the awkward yeah. questions and you have someone who kind of inspires you. And I think, actually, I intentionally keep a couple of people on my... I never kind of say to them, you're on my personal board. <laughs> I don't want to give them, the, you know, that kind of credit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you but, pick them up too. Yeah, exactly. You've know, got, got to keep them level-headed. But I intentionally have a couple of people who I just think, I know that when I talk to them... They approach things so differently yeah. to me and would make very different decisions. That that is really helpful to me yeah. because it just makes me stop and think and challenge my thinking. And often I'm in a part of a couple of networks actually where I see everyone is so similar. And that's
2: the echo chamber thing. And that's right? and I
1: actually really yeah. worry about that. I do worry yeah. about the echo chamber. It's not really that
2: helpful. And the echo chamber is a wonderful, supportive thing yes. and a nice place to be, but it doesn't get us very far. Um, And if we're only ever spending time with people that we're in kind of violent agreement with, we don't reach perhaps the people who are actually in power, perhaps the people who don't necessarily subscribe to the echo chamber, but have a lot of control over our careers. And we think that's a big problem.
1: One of the last kind of areas this in the book that I really liked, that actually we don't read about very often with the different people that we interview, but we talk a bit about, and I think it's, or I hope it's a bit of an emerging skill set and trend. We talk about curiosity mm-hmm. and how you have to work hard to stay intentionally curious, but also how valuable that is in any role in any organisation. And I am going to steal your phrase mm-hmm. shamelessly forever, which is borrowed brilliance. Mm-hmm. We actually used it today. In We were, doing, um, in conversation right. we were doing a workshop about <laughs> growth mindset And we were like, we're interviewing these brilliant people later. And they talked about borrowed brilliance. And actually, you give it an an example of almost something that you can kind of uniquely bring. Mm. Often this idea of, I call it meerkat moments, you know, like being a meerkat and kind of scanning and thinking about how you can kind of bring that back in. I'm really interested with, you know, you talked about how many talks did you say you didn't see? Maybe over like 200? So nearly. It must be nearly 200. 200 now, yeah. So you've been out and talked to so many different people. Can you just give us a few examples of some of the either organisations or perhaps individuals where you think from all the strategies that you out mm-hmm. kind of outline in the book, whether it's about borrowed brilliance or it's about having the right support network, just people who you think are doing it really well. Of course, people, I think with this area, it's too simplistic to be like everyone's doing everything really well but you must have seen examples that you felt were uplifting and encouraging yeah I mean Um, I hope
2: (laughs) no and there's a lot of cause for optimism out there because it's much more on the senior management's agenda than I think it ever was but we're all on a journey but I've spent a bit of time with direct line group but they've done so much in terms of neurodiversity and helping people be honest about how they're feeling mentally as well as Mm -hmm. physically and the sense that you get of great culture that comes out of that is, it's lovely actually. It's really good to see. Sky, TSB are doing
3: really great work. Mm. Nationwide are doing really, really good work mm. We're as going well. to, to
1: Nationwide in two weeks. Yeah.
3: They're doing really, really great work and they've got that whole kind of value, values at the heart of their and business. And it's from the top, right? And it's, it's, from, it's the from the My top. It's from the It's meant from the top. And oh. it's also mm-hmm. the other thing as well, which is that it's not corporate speak. So, we have done talks at places where there is a board champion for diversity and inclusion. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I nearly got into trouble with this when we did a fishbowl once with someone in HR. The thing about diversity inclusion, is it <laughs> it can't live in HR. It it's can't, got it to can't live only. It can't much. only live yeah, in yeah, HR yeah. and just what have you. It has to be senior management, HR, and then all the way through the organisation because lots of the places we've been to go, yes, we've got this really amazing network where we're working with uh, our promising young women, blah, 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 blah. And then you just look at the kind of like the mid-management thing and it's still mostly bloke. Mm-hmm. And it's because the system is top-down and tick-box rather than And let's look at the pipeline.
2: But, yeah, pipeline. But, but I mean, God, the companies- bloody pipeline's been
3: existing since
2: we started to go to work yeah. and, you know... that Many companies... As far as gender is concerned, there was never a problem with the pipeline and there are many companies where the only place where women are in a minority is in the senior levels. And so quite why people now think saying, oh, but we're sorting out our pipeline as far as it, you know, ethnicity is concerned or yeah. you know, sexuality, why they think that's going to make the slightest bit of difference to the board, I, I'm really not sure because with the best one in the world, it's about the overall culture in, of the company. So and the you, pipeline you pro, is just yeah.
1: pro-quota now? No, I'm not pro voter. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pro-targets. Okay. We're pro-targets.
2: Pro-targets. Mm. We're pro-targets and we're pro really thinking seriously about what the barriers are at every
1: level. Okay.
2: There are so many people, apparently, who are still going to boardroom meetings where it's mainly men. There might be one woman... Or sales head meetings where it's mainly men, and they seem to think it's normal. Hmm. It's like, that's not normal. But it's a
3: really interesting thing when you. So I can name a company which I think is doing really, really great work, which is Toshiba. And I did a podcast with their CEO, and they talked about the fact that they spent two years working on their gender pay gap and they moved it from 33% to. 31%. It took them two years. (laughs) And everyone was going, Well, that's really amazing because actually it's market leading in their Mm -hmm. sector, which it was. And then he just said, and I thought, if we carry on at this rate, it's going to take us like another you know, 60 years to Yeah, like 100 years, yeah. Yeah. What the chuff yeah. are we doing? You know, we are, we are people who are good at problem solving and what have you. And they did this full analysis of the company and they worked out if they promoted, and they've got a workforce in the UK of something like 24,000, they worked out that if they promoted 90 women into the top two levels of their company and just supported them a bit before they were... I'm putting this, you know, these are brackets, ready, mm-hmm. but they just gave them a bit of support, they could wipe their gender pay gap down by 10% just by moving 90 women. Mm-hmm.
4: Wow. I mean, that's amazing. It's that kind of thing that makes it really yeah. real, isn't it? Yeah, it's not yeah, being the like the strategy and the yeah, pipeline. The it's like, it's And then women. It Is that thing about How do you going, solve it? Yeah. It's yeah. how do you solve it? And
3: maybe it is just moving. Maybe it isn't the, we're going to take a seven-year programme and address like Your pipeline's bloody 15 years away from mm. management, senior mm. management... Yeah. No one's got 15 years. You're in a global fight for talent. Everyone will just look up and go, There's no one like me here. Mm. I'm off. Yeah. Or I don't want to work here anymore. Or da 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 da. And what you need to do is just do, you know, think, well, maybe what we'll do is we'll promote five women, not two, we'll promote five. Mm. Mm. and let's just do it. And, and we don't want to quote And it because... maybe
2: they've got a bit less experience on paper, yeah. but we will work out yeah. how to support them. Yeah. But also maybe because they've got a bit less experience of one thing... They can bring a different point of view yeah. and that's yeah.
4: where and that's diversity aid. benefits. So sort of drawing everything to a close at the moment and um, sort of thinking into the future on a scale of one to 10, let's say. How optimistic do you feel for like, women at work and our opportunity and parity? How optimistic are you feeling? I,
2: I am very optimistic
4: but there is so much that
2: still needs to be done and you know i think we mentioned earlier off air that we're working on our next book and our next book is deliberately about making sure that everybody is brought into the dni discussion because it does feel as though the inclusivity discussion at the moment excludes quite a lot of people who are actually the men that are still in power and what we've got to do is we've got to create the conditions and the circumstances for this to be everybody's job and everybody's task Mm -hmm. if we can do that then I think I'm very optimistic
3: yeah, if we can talk about human-shaped values rather than saying what we're going to do is do the tick box of this year we're doing gender, mm. next year we'll be doing, you know... <laughs> yeah. On next to the year, next thing. Next year we're doing neuro, neurodiversity, da-da-da, and all we're going to do is do a year and have this little tick box thing. And then in six years we'll have addressed all those. Oh, God, still nothing's changed. Mm. It's talking about human-shaped values because everyone identifies as a human, mm-hmm. hopefully. And then what you do is you feel much more of a sense of connection rather than people going this year is the year of... Whatever, you know, it, it's all about that on a scale of one to 10. Yes. Um, eight out of 10.
4: Eight out oh. of 10. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I liked your phrase earlier. It's like it's not about being top down and tick box. I think yeah. that's yeah. It's kind of this human shape thing. And we always end our podcast with our guests where we ask them to share their best piece of career advice. It's something that features in our book. Actually, we collected 100 pieces of career advice from people. And we wondered if you could do that for us now. So either related to this particular topic, a piece of career advice for someone to help them, or just more generally, some kind of career advice that has been helpful for you that you think it might be helpful for other people to hear?
2: Look, the thing that happens a lot is that women come and talk to me and they tell me how upset they are because they've got something wrong or they feel like they've done a misstep or something and they're beating themselves up about it and going on and on about it and sometimes I say to them "Um, if this wasn't you, if this was your best friend that had done this, what would you say to them? And they immediately go, oh I'd say don't think anything about it it's (laughs) really not a problem. And I say, okay, well, can you try and be your best friend then? So try and be your own best friend at work. That's brilliant advice. advice. That's a really good way of thinking about it.
3: I think building on that, it is a thing where we always have a voice in our head, which is, well, you've you've never done that before, Helen. Probably you're going to mess it up. That voice in your head, it's just that really irritating person at parties, you know, comes and goes, hello. <laughs> just if you were at a party mm. with the voice in your head, you'd get yourself another drink and go and find someone else to go and talk to. <laughs> so stop listening to that voice in your head that says, you know, you're going to mess it And It's building on that. You're going to mess this up. Don't do that. Because genuinely, most of the time, even if you think, oh God, my bottom goes all tight when I think about the moment. <laughs> Actually, in the great scheme of things, it's probably not that important. Mm-hmm. So just get over yourself a bit and just crack on because, honestly, most of the things in my life that where, where I've lain awake at night worrying at work and going, oh, God in heaven. It's just going to be a disaster. <laughs> Waking up and going into work the next day and it isn't a disaster and you've just got to work... You've got this. Honestly, you really have got this. And if it is an unprecedented disaster, go and work somewhere else. <laughs> you know, it is... You are not here. It's not some kind of, like, you know, Buddhist... Don't, don't re- swiggle. do yeah. Swiggle, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are not here on some kind of Buddhist mission to make up some misdemeanours in a previous life. Just go and do something that makes you happy and fulfilled. And if it doesn't fit with the ambition piece, so bloody what? It's your life. You know, why be miserable? Crack on, have a good time. I mean, I think
4: it's a brilliant way <laughs> yeah. to I'm, I'm smiling. Thank you. I'll see you, Catherine.
1: Thank you so much for coming for with us, us and sharing everything. Us. You can find the book on Amazon. And if you're interested in reading the book, I've spent a lot of time actually immersing myself in it, actually both the physical copy and the Kindle copy. Do you know what I discovered on Kindle? You can, when you highlight sections throughout a book, they turn into flashcards, and this is the first time with your book that I... So I highlighted so much. I then thought, <laughs> oh, I want to take those highlights and use that to think about what questions we're going to ask. Mm. And you can get these like little note cards. And so it's it's a book where there was a lot of highlighting done, which I think is a good <laughs> recommendation for any book. It's really practical. If you're listening and thinking, I need more ideas on kind of actions I can take, there's loads of that in there, whether it's about ambition or confidence or borrowed brilliance. And actually at the back, I think it's 41 strategies. Yes. So there's 41 kind Kind of listed like almost one to two sentences so kind of really easy to kind of read and get your head around of just strategies and ideas for action so you certainly won't come away feeling like oh this is something abstract that I'm not sure what to do with I kind of went away going oh there's some things here that I do well already brilliant and there are definitely some things I want to kind of get better at and now I feel like I know how I might go and do that which is a really refreshing thing to kind of read about so thank you both so much for spending time with us. And I feel like you might feel like I'm a bit of a stalker having started it, being like, well, <laughs> 10 years ago, I was thinking I'd love to speak and to these now two I've women. And i you here. And, yes. he, and here you are. Um...
3: In East London, you may never escape yeah. again.
1: <laughs> I feel like you might be both a bit dubious of being like, who is no, this no, woman? No, no, we are
2: very grateful. There and and you're, you guys are doing fabulous, fabulous work.
1: Yeah. So thank you for being part of our special International Women's Day series. Thank you. Thank you.